We're in Numbers chapter 16 and 17 today. Numbers chapter 16 and 17. Someone with really wishful thinking, I just, I applauded them. It was so cute. They said, well, the sermons will probably be shorter now that we're having Sunday school, right? I love that. That was great. I love their enthusiasm. So cute. It won't be much longer. Numbers 16 and 17. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we are going to be together with you forever, and we are going to be done with weeping. We are going to feast with you. You are going to spread the table for us. And it's going to be nothing but joy and thankfulness and worship. We long for that day. We thank you for your great grace to us. Now I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you will sturdy us, that you will, you will build us up, that you will strengthen us. You will deepen our love for your dear Son. I pray that you do these things in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, Numbers chapter 16 and 17 this morning. I'm going to read it as I go. I'm not going to read it all ahead of time. I'm going to read it as I go. The story this morning is a story might be familiar to you, kind of like in this weird, vague way. We're preaching through the book of Numbers, and so I know a lot of the stuff that we've talked about has been sort of kind of familiar. It's kind of, yeah, I think I've heard that stuff somewhere before. Um, so that's, we're going to have another one of those stories this morning. It's the story of Korah, Korah's rebellion. It's actually Korah and a few other people, a few other Reubenites, um, a Levite leader named Korah and some leaders from the tribe of Reuben, and they're going to grumble against Moses and against Aaron. They're going to try to take the authority and the responsibility away from Moses and Aaron. Now, this feels like deja vu, right? Haven't we already tried this a few different times already in the book of Numbers? Haven't we, we, haven't we already rebelled against God's men? All, haven't we already done this? Haven't we already rebelled against God's authority? Like, like, why are we trying this again? Why are we trying this again? This, this seems like we've been here before, guys. Were you not paying attention? The, the, the last people who have tried to rise up against Moses and rise up against Aaron, what they've seen is that in doing that, they're rising up against God Himself. And so God is going to punish them. Why do we keep trying this? And so maybe when we're coming into this story this morning, we're thinking, man, I just, this, I, let's just skip this, let's skip this story. We know how it's going to end. It's not going to be pretty. It's just yet another rebel who's going to get what's coming to him. Can't we just move on to the next story? We've seen this one before. This is a rerun. Well, I want to, I want to pause on that and, and I want to tell you if we if we hang on if we if we hang on to this and we go through this story carefully we're going to learn a, a few really cool lessons just for our lives our day-to-day lives but then we're also going to have some encouragement at the end of this sermon if you can hang with me to the very end we're going to we're going to see some really cool stuff because we're going to see something that God can do that we can't do it, 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 if you're a parent or a teacher or a boss or if you have any kind of leader, then you've been in this situation where you're, you're, just tr- you're trying to... What you're trying to do is you're trying to change someone's heart. You're, you're trying to change their heart. And you, you look at them and you say, 
Do you remember the last time you rebelled against authority? How it worked out for you? You, you remember that really in the end, the only one you're hurting here is yourself. Do you remember that? And they look at you, and obviously they remember, but they don't care. They don't, they don't care. They're gonna do it anyhow. And, and we've probably had those moments ourselves where we knew going in, this is stupid. And in the end, the only one that really got hurt was ourselves. The main one that got hurt was ourselves. And it would be great if we could just, if we could, instead of just warning someone, if we could get into their mind and change them. If we get into their heart and change them and help them to see what we see. Well, the, the beautiful thing is God can do that. God not only gives severe warnings against rebellion, but God can, God can put an end to rebellion. And I don't mean just by punishing it. So let's, let's look at these lessons that we have here in these two chapters. And then at the end, I also, I also pray and hope that we'll have some encouragement as well here. So let's, let's think through. We've got six lessons from these two chapters. And we're going we're gonna to move right along. Um, theoretically, we're going to move right along this morning. We're going to try to get to these as quickly as possible. But as we open up these two chapters, we, there's six lessons that are really important for us to carry with us in our, in our day-to-day lives. Lesson number one, that we, we have to get this, God's Word is easily mishandled. As we see the rebellion of Korah, what we see here, um, lesson number one, God's Word is easily mishandled. Verses 1-3 through three of chapter 16 say, Now Korah the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Alright, so this is, this is Korah, and he's got his guys, and he's gonna go, and he's gonna go talk to Moses, and, and specifically Aaron here. And Korah's beef mostly is with Aaron, and he's saying to him, we should all be priests. Why is it that Aaron and his family are the only ones who get to be priests? And then he says, the, the congregation are holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. So that's true. Right? So what Korah has done is he's taken scripture, he's taken a scriptural truth, which is, which is all of Israel are holy before the Lord. All of them are set apart for God. It is, in that sense, a kingdom of priests. There is a real way in which the people of Israel are, are holy before the Lord. They're set apart by God. They are chosen by God. And so what Korah, though, says, well, that means that we should all be priests. We should all serve as priests. So he's taking a truth from the Word of God, and he's ignoring the rest of the Word of God, and he's deciding this is what this truth means. He's pitting one truth 
against another clear truth in the Word of God. The clear truth is that God has said that only Aaron's family can serve as, tru- as, as priests. God has said that clearly. And so, so since God has said, Aaron, your family are the only ones who to be priests, Korah is saying, well, but yeah, but we're all holy, so we should all be priests. He's mishandling the Word of God. He's pitting the word of one section of the Word of God against another section of the Word of God. This happens so easily. This happens all the time. We are, we read everything with our own bias and our own built-in opinions and our own built-in desires. And so oftentimes we read a small section of the Word of God and we decide, oh, this must mean this for me. Even though that doesn't line up with what the rest of Scripture says. This is a, this is a very common danger. This is a very common danger. If we interpret Scripture in a way that doesn't agree with the clear teaching of the rest of Scripture, then we need to start over. And if we're not sure, then let's, let's get some help. Let's ask some people who, who know, who've studied their Bible for a long time. Let's, let's get some second opinions. Let's, let's work through this. Just because we want a verse to mean a certain thing doesn't mean it does. And so Korah here has said, well, God has said we're all holy. That means we all should be priests. He says, Aaron, you've gone too far by making your family only the priests. We all are holy. Well, yes, you are all to be ethically holy. You are all set apart and special to God. That doesn't mean that you all get to serve as priests. In fact, if we don't have the priesthood of Aaron, the rest of you aren't holy before the Lord. So that's lesson number one. Scripture is, the, the Word of God is, is easy to mishandle. It's easily mishandled. We should be very careful about this. And it, and, and it happens all the time. Do some extra digging. Do some extra work. If you, if you hear someone interpret a Scripture and you're like, I don't think that makes sense with the rest of the Bible, do the hard work. Because our, our hearts are deceitful. They want what they want. And so we can mangle the, the meaning of Scripture if we're not careful. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two from these verses, ambition is dangerous. Ambition is dangerous. Verses 4-11, through 11, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. This is what Moses always does when he realizes that the people are, are being blasphemous again. They're being rebellious again. They're in danger of being destroyed again. He falls on his face. Verse 5, and he said to Korah and all his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and, and, and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. So, so Moses is saying to Korah, okay, you want to be priests too? We'll let God decide this. So he says, he says this in verse 6, do this. Take censers, Korah, and all his company, put fire in them, and burn incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. So a censer was just an, a, a thing to, a device to burn incense. And so they, they all got one, and they're all gonna, they're all gonna burn incense before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. You have gone too far. He, he turns their words back on them. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. 
And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for, for you that the Lord, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself and to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that, that He had brought you near Him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And so Moses has kind of just dissected Korah and his followers here. Moses is cut right to the heart. And he realizes that even though Korah is a Levite, and, and, and which means it gives him special jobs at the tabernacle, and among the Levites he's a Kohathite, which gives him the top-level jobs at the tabernacle. Like, like Korah was was right below the priests as far as importance, as far as, as status in the community, as, as far as you know, jobs that, that are really a, a mean, publicly meaningful. Kor, Korah was right there, but he wanted more. He wanted more, and Moses picked up on that. Moses understood that. Moses saw what was going on in Korah's heart. Korah doesn't care about the rest of the people being holy before God. Korah doesn't, Korah doesn't want everyone to be a priest. Moses realizes that. This is how most revolutions through the, through the history of the world have worked. You know, they say, oh, we're going to overthrow the king, that way we can, all the people have power. No, they want to overthrow the king so they can be basically the next king, right? 98% of the revolutions in the, in the history of the world, that's how it's gone down. We don't care about the people. We want, we want power. That's what's going on here. Korah wants, he's a Levite, which is nice. Ooh, it'd be nice to be a priest. More notoriety, more fame, more money. I want to be a priest. That's where it's at. And Moses sees this in Korah. Let me, let me talk to you for a second about the best way to kill this. Because this is in me. It's in you. It's in all of us. We want the next level. Whatever the next level is, we want it. Whatever elevation would mean, we want it. Whatever more fame and status and more appreciation, whatever that means for us, whatever gets us more appreciation, whatever helps people understand how important we are, we want that. That's a drive inside of us. That's a drive inside of us. The great way for, for leaders to kill that is to remember leadership is service. I'm not here for status. I'm not here, um, I was joking in the college Sunday school class about how cool I am, and I'm just a, just a trendsetter, and everybody always wants to be like me. And I get it, I understand it, it's, you know. But that's not my main goal in life. My, no, it's not about status. I'm here to serve. I'm here every week to serve you with the Word of God. I'm here throughout the week to serve you with prayer, and with, with counsel, and advice, and encouragement. And care. I'm here to serve you. This is what leaders are here for. They are here to serve those God has entrusted to them. And the wonderful thing about remembering that, about keeping our sanity and remembering that leadership has been, has been, our, our leadership opportunities have been given to us by God, whatever they are. If you have leadership at, at, at your school, if you have leadership at your job, if you have leadership within your family, whatever God has given you, that is Him entrusting you the, 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 the opportunity to serve His people. People He cares about. 
If I, if I can remember that I'm here to serve you, then I'll, I, I'll have more than enough to be concerned about. I'll be, I'll be plenty satisfied with what God has given. We have to remember we're here to, to serve. That'll keep me busy till I die. I won't have time for dissatisfaction. I won't get it goofed up what leadership means. It doesn't mean status. It means service. Lesson number three, we see that leaders are easy targets. Leaders are easy targets. So, so Moses has kind of let Korah have it, right? He said, okay, fine, Korah, and all 250 of your stupid friends, tomorrow we'll see who God thinks should be a priest. You bring your censers, we'll all burn incense, and we'll see who God chooses. Let's see how this works out for you. So he's, so he's addressed Korah. Now he's going to move on to Dathan and Abiram. And, and there's a guy named An, but he left. I think he was like, you know what, I'm out. Anyhow, um, he's, he's, he doesn't show up here. He's, he's, I, maybe he came to his senses, I don't know. Um, so verse 12, And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us? <laughs> okay, so this is just nonsense. Listen to what they say. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. Moses saying, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't taken anything from them. I haven't abused my authority in any way. And I have not harmed one of them. Moses is frustrated with just this foolishness. So now, so now we have Korah is over here, and he wants the priesthood, really. But, but Dathan and Abiram, they're different. They're, they're in their own sort of camp. I mean, they're all, they're all together, and they're all going to be judged together. Um, but, but Dathan and Abiram, they want something different. They want Moses' um, his authority, his, his leadership position. They want to be who Moses is. They don't care about being the priest. Hey, that's what Korah wants. These guys, they want Moses out. And they want to take his place. And their little speech here makes no sense. And it leaves God completely out. They say Moses is the one who took them out of Egypt. God did that. And they say that Egypt was flowing with milk and honey. Nope. No, it wasn't. That's the opposite of what Egypt was. They say Moses is the one who's going to kill them in the wilderness. Nope. The one who's going to kill them in the wilderness is God because of their sin. And they say Moses is the one who didn't get them into the promised land. Again, that was their sin. And then they accuse Moses of trying to gouge out their eyes, which is like a, a way of saying, um, pull the wool over their eyes. It's not as gruesome as it sounds, but the, the, the idea is to, to blind them, to fool them, to trick them. They're saying Moses is pulling the wool over their eyes, but they're not going to let him get away with it when it is them who are, who are the blind ones. So they're, they're blaming all of their problems on their leader. The, their problems, all of these things that they're frustrated about, have stemmed from their own sin. They have sinned and rebelled and sinned and rebelled. And so God has been punishing them. That's where their problem lies. It doesn't lie with Moses. 
This is a pretty typical thing. Let's be very careful about this in our own lives. We are very quick to blame leadership. We're very quick to blame leadership. If you listen to me like for a whole week, like any given week, if you listen to me, you'd think, well, Steve probably would be the best coach of his favorite football team. He'd be the best school administrator and principal. He'd be the best mayor, governor, president. He'd, be, he'd just be good at all those things. Steve's better than all those leaders. We should just give it to all of Steve. If you listen to me talk and complain and go on and on about how good of a job I do, this world would be better if leaders would just do what I think they should do. Well, it is true that some leaders are better than others. But my main problems don't come from some leader somewhere. My main problems do not come from some leader somewhere. My main problems come from my own sin and the repercussions that my sin is bringing in my life. That's my main issue. So before we start taking pot shots at our leaders, and again, some of them deserve it more than others, but before we start complaining about them, let's take a really good look at our own lives. Is it possible that, the, that our main frustrations, our main problems, they would be there whether those leaders were, were around or not? They come from our own sin. We ask ourselves, what do we need to repent of? And then here's another free, this is another free like add-on, free little, you know, you can do what you want with it, but you must obey it because I said it. Um, I strongly encourage you to pray for your leader, any of your leaders, whether you voted for them, whether you wanted them, whether or not, pray for them twice as much as you complain about them. That's just free. Say, Steve, do you do that? That's really none of your business. What's important, <laughs> what's important is I'm going to start tomorrow, okay? And, and you need to do it. All right. Lesson number four. Lesson number four. Servant leadership is exhausting. It's gone. Verses 16 through 27. Listen to, Mo- listen to what Moses goes through. Because he loves God and loves his people, listen to what Moses goes through. He, he goes through a roller coaster here. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And, and every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. So somehow Korah gets everybody there. He gets everybody there. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. God is saying, not only is Korah and the 250, not only are they going to get what's coming to them, but all these people that he has, he has sort of just kind of rabble-roused and gathered up. Verse 22, Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? 
Please don't. These, these, these other, this, this congregation, they're just, they're just here. They don't even know why. They're just, they're, they're, please don't judge them. Please don't judge them. Please don't punish them for the sins of Korah. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away from all their, with all, the, all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. This is heartbreaking. Moses is going through it. For, for he's, he's, he's praying hard to God. God, please don't, please don't consume these who, who really aren't involved. He's, he's pleading with the people. Please get away from these wicked people. He's saying to the wicked people, God is going to judge you. Moses is just going, he's going through all the emotions here. He's going through all of it. He, he is in. He is, he is in it. He is all in. Moses is the, he, he's not the kind of leader who just goes and, and gives a speech once a week and then just kind of lets, see, you know, well, I'll see you again next week. Moses is in the lives of his people. He has the courage to tell the people hard truth. But he's not one of those like bitter, cranky, old, I told you so kind of preachers. You know, sometimes, sometimes we're very tempted to almost rejoice when we see people get what's coming to them. When we warn people, hey, don't live that way or God is going to judge you. He's going to punish you. He's going to discipline you. It's not going to work out well for you. And then when, it, when that comes true, it's almost like, well, yeah, I told him. Moses isn't like that. He's not a bitter old crank. He wants these people to repent. He's full of, he's full of like hard truth, but he's also full of compassion and mercy. And so if we're going to be like this, if we're going to be people who are just adamant about telling the truth of the Word of God, that's not an easy thing to do ever, right? I was going to say in our day and age, it wasn't easy in this day and age either. It's never been easy to hold up the truth of the Word of God with firm conviction. But it gets harder if we're also going to deeply love the people around us, if we're going to pray for them and care for them and seek desperately to, to show them the grace of God. But that's what real spiritual leadership is. It's going all in. I think about this often as a, as a dad. I, I, I have to tell my kids the truth. I have to tell them the truth of the Word of God. And I also have to be there for them and care for them and help them to know that they are loved. I have to be both. It's just the same way as a pastor or any kind of leadership opportunity God gives us. That sounds exhausting. It is. It is, but it's what we're called to. It's what we must do. It's what real leadership is. So don't be aloof. Don't be someone who just kind of says the truth to people and then eh, let them sort it out. Be involved in their lives. Pray for them. Plead with them. Care for them. While holding up the truth of Scripture. 
God's grace makes this possible for you. Get after it. And then, and then lesson number five, coming up now, reminds us why this type of servant leadership is so important. Why is it so important that, that we take whatever leadership opportunities God gives us to, to make disciples? Why is it so important? Because, lesson number five, God is exclusive. Lesson number five, God is exclusive. Verses 28 through 40. And this is, I mean, we knew this was coming, right? This doesn't surprise any of us. If we've been tracking through the book of Numbers so far, or if we're just really familiar with the Word of God, this is not going to surprise us. Verses 28 through 40. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. He says in verse 29, If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. So, so what Moses is saying is, if all 250 of these guys just sort of die, and it, and it seems like it, you know, it's kind of a coincidence that all 250 of them died at the same time, but if they all just died of some sort of physical ailment, then, then I'm wrong. The Lord hasn't sent me. Verse 30, But if the Lord creates something new, if God does something that only God could do, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, which is like the grave. It's like this, it's this layer underneath the ground. The ground swallows them up and they fall down into this grave. Then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. Verse 31, And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel were around, that were, who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Let, lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censors of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. For they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus they shall be a sign to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned, which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a reminder to the people of Israel so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. God says you have to remember. You cannot, you cannot just do things your own way. You can't just decide that you're going to be a priest. You can't just do this. God is holy. And it is not possible for Him to allow sin into His presence. We cannot be with Him. We cannot know His peace or His forgiveness or His blessing unless 
We approach Him the way He has told us to approach Him. Since He is the only one who is, who is free of sin, He is the only one who can decide how we get to approach Him. He is the one who must design it. And if it's not designed by God, it's not going to work. It cannot work. God is exclusive. Now here's the thing. I say it all the time. But, but I want to tell you, I'm going I'm to go off on this little rabbit trail for a second, just because you hear the opposite all week long. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to you. Truth is, no one is inclusive. Everyone is exclusive. Everyone excludes. I have, I have good friends who talk about being inclusive. And when I say good friends, I mean people who I love them, but I hate almost everything they say. All right? So, we talk about, they talk about being inclusive. But no one is actually inclusive. My, the people I know that I care about, they are glad to include me until the moment I say something they don't agree with. And then they exclude me. They go from inclusive to exclusive very quickly. Everyone is exclusive. Everyone stops people, pushes them back out, rejects people. Now, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I exclude and why. That doesn't matter. But it matters who God excludes. Because those who approach Him correctly will be blessed forever. They will feast in the house of Zion. They will will feast and weep no more. Those who approach God the way He has asked us to approach Him will be blessed forever. And those who don't will be punished forever. They will weep forever. This is why it matters It matters that we say God is perfect, God is holy, and God is exclusive. So you must approach Him correctly. This is why we have to go all in on disciple making. We have to double down on on telling people the truth and loving them. We have to go all in. Because God is exclusive. He is holy and He is perfect, which He must be. So we must approach Him correctly. Which brings us to our final lesson. Lesson six. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. Starting in chapter 16, verse 41. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. These people, they don't, like, like, they just saw all this happen and they think it's a really good idea to grumble against Moses again. They saw all that has transpired. All these people who have died. And they think, you know what we're going to do? We're going to grumble against Moses. Verse 42, And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. So God usually gives a warning. He usually says, Moses, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to get these people. If you don't intercede now, I'm going to get them. No warning this time. God's like, you know what? That's it. That's it. 
If you can't see after all that, that it's a bad idea to grumble against Moses, by doing so you're grumbling against me, God says, fine, here we go. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer. So, so here comes a plague. Here comes the plague. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put fire in it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. There's no warning. There's no time to waste. Moses says, Aaron, you've got to go now. Get your censer. Get the incense. You have to, you have to go and you have to, you have to intercede for these people. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. So, so Aaron here, is just, this is amazing. Aaron's, Aaron's taking his life into his own hands. The plague has already started sweeping through the people. Like you can literally see the plague coming through and people are dying from it. 14,000 people are, have died from this plague. As we're speaking... Aaron took it, as Moses said, ran in the midst of the assembly, verse 47, and behold, the the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He pays for their sins. And he's... I love this. I love this. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague stopped. Moses... or Aaron literally went... he, He went to the... to where... you can see the plague almost like a wave crashing over the people. And, and Aaron goes right into the midst of it. He stands between the people who have died and the people who have not yet died of the plague. And he stands between them and he, and he begs God to forgive them. He makes atonement for their sin. And the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. It should be abundantly clear that the only way God is going to be pleased with His people is if His high priest that He has appointed makes atonement for their sins. If these people are going to be safe from the wrath of God, they desperately need their high priest to intercede for them. They need their high priest to stand between the living and the dead and atone for their sins. But God, just in case it's not clear, look at chapter 17. He's going to drive this point home one more time. And I know some of you who have studied this chapter are thinking this should be a sermon all by itself. And and you're, you're probably right. We'll see if... I hope you didn't make any dinner reservations. Okay, here we go. Chapter 17. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house. From all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. So we're going to get twelve staffs, walking sticks, dead pieces of wood. Right? Write each man's name on his staff. And verse 3, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony. Take him to the tabernacle where I meet with you. Verse 5, And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Then I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel which they grumble against you. 
Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among the staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. We had a whole season of growth in one night from a dead piece of wood. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff, and the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end to their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. They finally get it. We are undone. We are undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord, shall die. Are we all to perish? They understand. They understand here, finally, their guilt before God. They can't just do whatever they want to, however they want to. It's not the way it works. God wants it to be clear once and for all. No, you're not going to die. No, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine if you approach me correctly. You'll be fine. In fact, you'll be more than fine. See, this this almond branch. Alright, so... We, we could talk about this for a while. But these, these almond branch that God produced on Aaron's walking stick, on his staff, this dead piece of wood, the, the, the almond leaves grew. Almonds grew on Aaron's staff. So in the Old Testament, almonds, the, the, the almond branch, the, the almonds growing, this was a beautiful picture of God keeping His Word. In the lampstand, in the tabernacle, it was, it was designed, it was patterned after all almond branches. When you looked at the lampstand in the tabernacle, this, this place where the, the light is always shining on these twelve loaves, which reminds the people always that God is always watching over them and He intends to bless them and keep them and, and, and He intends to protect them. He intends to be their God and have them be His people. The lampstand in the tabernacle was, a, was shaped like almond branches. And in the Old Testament prophets, like in Jeremiah God, God had the almond branches closely connected with, with Him keeping His Word. The almond branch was, was always among the first fruit of the spring. You had this, this cold, dead winter. And then the first signs of life in the spring were the almonds. They were a sign that, that, that God has been working it has been cold and it has been hard, but, but God is not dead. His Word is not dead. It will not return void. God is going to keep His promise. And it was a reminder that God is going to make His people happy and holy and with Him forever. They are going to feast in the house of Zion. God is going to accomplish this. God is going to save His people forever. Forever. That's what this almond branch was saying. 
But then when you think about that and you remember, what? Aaron failed. Aaron didn't even get in the promised land. Moses failed. He didn't get in the promised land. And then when they get in the promised land, they couldn't keep it. Isn't this almond branch a little bit deceiving? Isn't it a little bit of fool's gold? Isn't it too hopeful? No. It's not. Because Aaron and the rest of the priests of the Old Testament, they were just shadows, right? They were just temporary prototypes. They weren't meant to be forever. They were just pictures of the great high priest who was to come. Aaron risked his life to intercede for his people. Jesus gave his life to intercede for his people. Jesus is the one that this almond branch is all about. He's the one who's going to bring lasting, forever salvation to His people. He is the one who is actually going to put an end to our grumbling. Because He is going to put an end to our sin. And so that means a couple of different things. One thing it means is that He is going to put an end to the penalty of our sin. Hebrews chapters 4 through like 10, pretty much the middle section of the book of Hebrews, talks about why Jesus is the great high priest that we need. And, and one of the reasons here is from Hebrews, it says the former priests, the priests of Aaron's day, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They died. But he holds his priesthood permanently, Jesus does, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting, it was proper, it was good that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for His own sins, and then for those of the people, since He did this once for all, when He offered up Himself. When Jesus offered up Himself on the cross for you and for me, He did it once and for all. No more sacrifices. So in that way, Jesus brings an end to sin because He brings an end of, to God's wrath against our sins. And he, and he lives to intercede for us. So He, he brings an, an end to our punishment that we deserve but He also brings an end to sin itself. Jesus, He gives us the truth of the Gospel, which, which day by day humbles us and fills us with joy and it helps us to fight against grumbling and rebellion. So, so it's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful because we can now actually stop grumbling. It's not that Jesus looks at us and says, don't be so stupid. Don't you understand how this is going to work out for you? Jesus can do more than that. By, by His Spirit, he, he changes our hearts. He softens our hearts. He revolutionizes the way that we think. He gives us actual strength to fight against grumbling and rebellion. He, he not only gives us like proper perspective, not only does he humble us with the truth of the cross so that we can see things correctly, but he also gives us like the, 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 the ability to believe that gospel and the ability to fight day by day against grumbling and rebelling. And, and, and one day, he will present us spotless before his Father. 
there is coming a day where we will literally never grumble or rebel again. I cannot wait for that day. And here's the thing that humbles us, fills us with joy right now. Until that day that Jesus presents us spotless before His Father, He is interceding for us. He's interceding for us. He's standing between us and the Father. He's going between us and the Father. He's interceding for us. Interceding for me, you may not know this, but it's a full-time job. And, and Jesus is glad to do it. Urging me through His Spirit to fight against sin and working me towards repentance and holiness is a full-time job. And by His Spirit, He's glad to do it. They're fine. He's fine. He's, just, he's saying what everybody wants to say. It's fine, Josh. It's all good. He is just speaking for the crowd here. I feel you, buddy. He's just, he, he had the words he'd say, this sermon was about three points too long. I forgive all you. This is what Jesus does. It's a full-time job and He's doing it. This is what He does for all of those who have trusted Him as Savior. I pray that you believe the Gospel. I pray that you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. I pray that you belong, that you have approached God through Jesus. You have trusted His, what He did on the cross to save you from your sins. And if you have done that, if you've trusted Jesus, then understand that right now He is living and interceding for you and He's glad to do it. And one day He will present you spotless before His Father. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would help us to understand, to believe. We pray that You would help us, God, to have the, the strength and the desire to fight hard against grumbling and rebelling in our own life. We pray that You would help us, God, to interpret Scripture correctly, to, to understand leadership is, is service, it's, it's love. It's exhausting, but it is it is. It is possible because of your Spirit. Pray that you'd help us, God. We thank you for your, your, your wonderful love for us. We thank you for the great High Priest. It's in his name we pray. Amen.